0: Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Krogs Corner. I'm joined, of course, by Lou Orlando, Mister Temkin. I'm Declan Krogman, and now a very special guest here. My guest needs no introduction. He's a host of SNY's Geico Sports Night. He's a contributor to the Thread, the Electric, the Animated. Chris Williamson.
1: Appreciate that. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm humble that you guys put me on your podcast. So Great. can't wait to dive into some sports action and uh yeah. Absolutely. About something else than quarantine.
0: Now, we'll start it off here with, Chris, your background, how you got <clears> into <throat> the business, and kind of how you got your start in sports broadcasting.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I got started because of my failed dream of failing to become a professional basketball player. So my sophomore year of high school, uh, I tried out for the JV team, and I got cut. And up until that point, I had been using all my parents' resources, um, their time and energy um, for basketball uh, health, for basketball training. And you know, I've been spending thousands of nights you know, in the backyard shooting hoops with my brother. So at that point, I said, you've done all this work, and you're not even going to make the JV team yourself a year. You probably um, should let that go. You need to let that dream go. And then I told myself, well, what's the best way that I can stay connected to the game? And that was, well, I might as well talk about it, right? Because I was always interested in sports, you know, yeah. from a young age. You know, I used to read the the morning sports page um, of the Washington Post all the time, so much that, you know, my dad would tell me to stop reading it uh, because we had to go go to school. Or I'd watch, you know, Sports Center and everything, all the sports shows, as well. So that's really how I got my my start in the business. So I started thinking about this could be a career of mine because I wanted to stay connected to the game that I love so much. And, and then I worked as a, an intern at DC sports fan, a high school sports website, um, for the DMV area. And I did game recap articles for basketball, football. I think I did some lacrosse articles as well. And then I did a few feature articles. Um, and that's really where the foundation started where the foundation began and from there, I was like, I knew I wanted to go to Syracuse um, because it was the number one school in communication. My parents were like, "What is Syracuse? Where, where is Syracuse?" You know, they had no idea. Uh, but when I told them, you know, what what they represented and how great their school was for the communication school, right? Um, they were they were right. all aboard.
0: Right now, you mentioned Syracuse and how that impacted your career, as well as you know your decision to put your basketball aspirations on hold you were also a hell of a football player in high school and you even played at Cuse as well uh, as a walk-on for the Orange.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, You know, my, my father played football. Uh, He was all Ivy played at Harvard. And so it's interesting that we, you know, you know, felt more connected to basketball, but he never pushed the football envelope. He always let us do um, what we felt um, what gave us the most happiness. Right. So, I tried lacrosse, but for football, I just wanted to hit people. And then that after lacrosse, I was like, I'm, I'm gonna play football, right? So I did all the necessary work um, to get ready for the season, training camp, two days, put on 20 pounds of muscle. And yeah, I made, I was on the JV team my junior year. I had gotten, I pulled my groin actually. Um, yeah, I pulled my groin like in the beginning of tryouts and because I didn't want to look like a, a wuss, I didn't say anything. And so all my times are awful. And I kind of really um, put myself at a disadvantage that whole year uh, because I never really fully healed uh, with my groin uh, senior year, you know, I was on varsity and you know, I got recruited by different D one schools, only D one double and D two schools. Um, and I had an offer from Elon to be a preferred walk on. And then – so I was going to go there. I plan to go there. Actually, I had a deposit. I put in the security deposit for Elon, um, I guess, late in the process. And then, I don't know, I was talking to one of my brother's friends, Johnson Batamose, who now plays in the NFL. And we were just talking about college and football. He was like, look, if you go to Elon, that's great. You play football there. They have a decent education, but if you go to Syracuse and you don't make the team as a walk-on, you have the number one education, um, the number one communication school to fall back on. So from that point forward, I took a step back and said, "Yeah, I need to take that deposit out." My dad was sure to get that out because uh, he didn't want to lose his money. And then I told the Syracuse admissions uh, staff, "I made, uh changed my mind." And thankfully, the the offer more um, of the um, admittance was still open for me. They still had a spot. And yeah, I went to Syracuse. I didn't make it my freshman year. I was too, they said I was too slow, too, too weak. And, and then I was like, look, that next summer, I was going to do everything in my power to, um, you know, make the team. It's funny because my actually winter semester, I was going to try out, but I had pneumonia. I got really sick, so I couldn't try then. At that point, I'm thinking, can maybe maybe football isn't for me right maybe playing college football isn't for me but i say okay I'm, i have the whole summer to myself uh i'm going to be extremely dedicated and once i you know put up, um, put up the numbers that i need to see what happens in the fall and sure enough they they liked me and i was on a team so i played there for a couple of years uh, before i had to to leave uh, because of injuries and I just need to focus on my broadcasting career.
2: It was a great experience. Really, really fascinating.
1: Sure sounds like it.
2: Now, Chris, what did you learn from that experience that you used with the broadcasting? Well, I learned, you know, how um, I
1: learned more of how the business is um, from NCAA standpoint and just athletic administrations. I also learned how to work with the the media better and how they may try to do. I just got a better understanding of players um, and what not to do um, when it comes to asking questions and um, being respectful and appropriate to, to get the, the most meaningful answer. Um, it also gave me a better understanding of the game, right? I don't understand the game, you know, like um, experts who people play in the NFL because when you, the thing about getting to the next level, you always – um, enhance your your understanding if you're, like, a student of the game. So people in the NFL, they obviously are much more um, knowledgeable about it. It can tell you the X's and O's, you know, like the back of their hands. But in college, when I got to D1 level, I realized so, much, so many more things just from the things that the coaches were telling me about how you can tell when a quarterback is doing a three-step drop as opposed to a five-step drop. You know, um, different things that the tight end will do. To signal they're about to to block or they're about to you know go out for a pass, um, so it was really really um, fascinating to uh, to see that side of football in a way that I didn't really understand as a high schooler, um, and I think also it just gives me a leg up. It gave me a leg up as far as broadcasters because I had that experience, so I could use my knowledge and my insight to help inform the viewers and give them a perspective that maybe somebody else who hadn't played the game um, would do.
0: Right. And now after Syracuse, where did your life, because I know you were in Wisconsin, you covered a title run for the Badgers basketball, uh, and I think the Motown Miracle for the Packers too. Where did life take you after Syracuse?
1: Right. So after Syracuse, I searched for a job for about eight months before I ended up finding, uh, finding a job in Wisconsin, as you mentioned. During that eight months, you know, I worked for my fraternity, um, a nonprofit doing video work and editing, so I kept my skills fresh, um, even though I wasn't doing on-air work, but I loved to edit and put together different montages and pieces, as well as working at a high school uh, sports and entertainment network that was a startup, um, so they were really trying to get their footprint um, in the DMV area. They wanted to be like the sports center um, or the ESPN of high school sports, so I was their national uh, football scouter, so I analyzed um all these different uh, players from across the country, um, but more so in the D And they gave me like an evaluating rubric to grade, like how, how great is this for, is this a five-star athlete or is this a four-star? And they had different measurements. So that also um, helped me understand, you know, how to scout players better um, as well. Just not, not just like on an eye test, but like actual um, rubric and an understanding of um, the systems that are in place for scouting. And, Around that time, like, I had that job for, I guess, a few months. Then I got the call to uh, Wausau, Wisconsin as a weekend sports anchor. And it was like, I didn't know where Wausau was, uh, but I found out quickly. And I couldn't pass up an opportunity to work with, you know, the Packers, the Badgers, uh, you know, great high school sports scene um, in such a small community there. They're really passionate about their high school sports just knew this was the place that I needed to go um, in order to get my dream started.
0: Right. Um, and now you got past Syracuse, then you went to Wisconsin. How did you get this job at SNY? Because again, as I mentioned, you're always on TV. I feel like every time I turn on SNY, it's you.
1: <laughs> That's, I uh, appreciate that, man. I uh, wish I was on a little bit more, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I got to so after my job in Wisconsin, I came back home and I didn't have a job and I found one at WSA Nine uh T V station in DC. I worked there as a feature sports reporter part time. I didn't have a contract or anything, it was at will. And that's where I really began to hone my storytelling skills to just a different level than I ever could imagine, you know, um uh, beforehand. It was like it was like getting your master's class in, in journalism or in storytelling uh, for me um, because of the level of detail that they expected, um, you know, at a top 10 market. So I had that job for about a year. I had a job for a year and three months. And around that time, I was still applying. I had my agent, you know, fielding different um, perspective, um, potential opportunities. And SNY was one of the places that he had a connection with. Uh, he was cool. one of the executives. And it came down to X and Y uh, and Cleveland Cavaliers. And I knew that the Cavaliers wanted me to be uh, their silent reporter. And they had just come in off the year when LeBron had left for the Lakers. And the silent reporter um, with LeBron, she went to L.A. with him. Um, so they had an opening. It was a great situation. You know, never expected I'd have to decide between working for an NBA team and working for um, a regional sports network in the number one market in the country, at the end of the day, when I looked at the facts and what they were presenting, I just felt the X and Y would be a better opportunity for me for my growth um, as a as an anchor, as a reporter, um, and just the, all the networks uh, or the, all the networking that you can have out in the big city in the Big Apple, and it just it was a dream dream come true. Never never expected uh, to be in that. Be in this position, um, you know, where I am now at 30. Right.
3: So uh, I've been doing my research about colleges, and I really love Syracuse. I've toured there. I think right now it's my number one school. Can you just talk a little bit about how your experience there and particularly uh, your time spent in the Newhouse School of Communications helped you get to where you are today, and helped you develop your skills to be, the, you know, the personality and the broadcaster that you are?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I wasn't—I wasn't even that great at Syracuse. I—if you look at my college tape, if, if, if it's still up on YouTube, I wasn't even that great at the time. I thought I was good, but I got humbled. And this is the great thing about Newhouse and uh, being at that school. My advisor, uh, Professor Nicholson, um, who had worked, who's been on ESPN and multiple other networks, very accomplished, he told me I showed him my tape. My junior year, I thought I was doing something, and he was like, like, "Yeah, you're not you're not very good right now." And that that hurt. That hurt. But I needed that honesty from him to really evaluate, to really take a step back and see how I could improve on my work, so I could get to a level where a where stations would want to hire me um, when I graduated. Uh, because if it, if it weren't for that, maybe I would have been, um, you know, shortchanging myself and not getting the best. Uh, the best work and the wonderful thing um, about new house man is everybody that is a professor is either working still in the industry or they have worked in the industry. So it's not something where they're teaching from a theory uh, component. They actually know what they're doing. They've been doing it or they can, or they still are doing it. So you have that authenticity. You have somebody who's still involved in the industry who can tell you what mistakes they made so you make sure you don't make those and different tips and exercises that you can do to improve your your overall broadcasting uh, experience and ability. Um, and they let you make mistakes, I've, you know, like that's where you make mistakes and you find your voice. Um, even you've Well, you find your voice um, over years, not just college, but uh, yeah, there were just so many valuable moments like turning a package in one day. Like usually you'd have a whole day to turn the package. Well, when we got to uh, BDJ 465, which is like the the news newscaster class, you had to turn a package in like a few hours, right? It wasn't, yeah, you get two days or three days or whatever. Um, you better turn that thing in. If you don't, then your grades are going to suffer. So... I just love the, the professors and their willingness to help help you and get the best best skills out of you, best ability out of you. And then also the alumni network. They love to connect alumni with current students to help them, mentor them, um, give them advice. So maybe they have some connections that could pay off later down the road with internships or potential jobs. Uh, yeah, they're really big on the Newhouse family and staying, staying together. That's why they call it. Uh, we call it like the cute mafia um, because there's so many, so many of us in the in the industry, but we stick, we stick together uh, because we have that love and we have that um, tight knit bond from being a Syracuse orange uh, man or, or woman
0: from Syracuse. Now, did you get a mentor in the communications broadcasting field?
1: Yeah, this guy, uh, Barry Abrams, who, worked for ESPN at the time. Unfortunately he was laid off during those big layoffs uh, a couple of years back. He was a producer. He also did like some voiceover work. But I, I worked with him. You know, we had a, a good relationship. Actually need to, to reach out to him uh, yeah actually need to reach out to him um, soon. And yeah, he, he had so much knowledge and expertise about the business, even though he wasn't an on air personality, because that just wasn't his route. That's not the route that he went. There's still so many things that you can learn um, that'll help inform your decision and just become more, more, um, understanding of how everything works in the broadcast world, like behind the scenes, you need to know that, uh, in front of the camera or director or video operator, the playback person, because it can help you manage different people and explain okay, well, maybe we should do this because when I, was, when I was in your position, this was something that helped me, right? And so it just makes the broadcast or whatever you're working on that much better because you do understand um, pretty much every position.
0: All right, Chris, now you mentioned studying all the positions throughout your time as a scout for the high school network and kind of getting everything together. Does that help you in preparation with the draft, the marquee event that happened last week uh, as we talked to uh, Brandon Tierney about it? Now, I really want to get into the NFL draft, as we've talked about here, uh, you know, off camera. Your thoughts on the Giants, Jets picks, like your basic thoughts on the draft, just, just hit us with it.
1: Honestly, I think Joe Douglas for the Jets did a wonderful job um, in his first year um, as being a GM. Uh, I think he selected a really great group of guys, with, uh, starting with, you know, Makai Becton, um, the, the lineman from Louisville. And then they got uh, Denzel Mims from Baylor. Um, he even traded, um, and he still got him. Uh, I think, and they got a cornerback Bryce Hall from Virginia. Uh, they got a safety from California. It really just put in perspective, or really let people know that the offensive line was was a priority. And he had promised, you know, Sam Donald's parents, he was going to do everything in his power to protect uh, their boy. And when they got a behemoth. <laughs> like Makai Becton, 6'4, 360 pounds, running a 5'140, uh, you know, that that signals they have trust and they are going to protect Darnold. With the Giants, you know, I think I was surprised they took two tackles, but um, Andrew Thomas, who was one of the best SEC tackles um, last year, I think he could be a really a really standout guy in protecting Daniel Jones and uh, opening up holes for Saquon Barkley. I was surprised about, I thought they should have gone with a center uh, because that's something that they've needed um, for a few years. And they had a guy like Tyler Biadesh who was available. They didn't select him. They got a developmental um, tackle. So wasn't really happy about that. I did enjoy the selection of Xavier McKinney from Alabama. That was great. Um, I think, yeah, I think that was a really smart draft choice by, by Mr. Dave Gettleman. And, you know, people write him a lot for making some questionable decisions. But that one. Um, you can't argue with that. There, they needed secondary help um, based on what happened last year. They're one of the worst defenses in the NFL, so I think he can come in and really impact um, the team right away. I do think the Jets will be a better, will have a better uh, win total. I think they'll win more games um, just because they have a second year with Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. So there won't be any new terminology to learn with the offense. I think their growing pains are going to exist. For the Giants. Um, some of these guys that they selected are not going to be able to step in right away, you know, outside of Andy Thomas and uh, Xavier McKinney.
2: Yeah. If you I, had to give I, a grade for the Jets and the Giants, what would you give them? You know, uh, it's interesting you ask that because I don't,
1: I'm not the person who, I'm a guy who hates giving grades, right? Because you don't know how everything's going to turn out. You don't know yeah. what player is going to do well, what player is going to stake. But as far as value perspective and where I think certain players should have gone, I think the the Jets they they did a B plus. Um, the Giants, I'll give them a, a, a B-. minus. Uh, yeah. Wow. And which 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 team do you think overall had the best draft? Shoot, uh, maybe the 49ers. You know, they got Trent. Wood. I mean. The 49ers uh, are going to be <laughs> loaded next year. They got at Trent Williams. They have Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, they have one of the better running backs in the game. Um, the wide receivers could improve, but But, yeah, I think the 49ers, they did a wonderful job uh, with their draft situation. Uh, yeah, I, I, would say that, I would say the 49ers, they may have uh, gotten a steal. As the rich is- got richer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: As much Slope. as it pains me Slope. to say, I think that the Cowboys had a great had a great draft. I'm a Giants fan; it upsets me, but I know Miss Iavini would be very I- happy. The Cowboys had a great draft. CD at that value, unexpected that he was even going to slip that far, and then they got Stephon Diggs' brother in the second round playing corner.
1: Yeah, no, uh, Stephon Diggs, his brother Trayvon Diggs, his, uh, he was a really really good player for for Alabama over his years uh, that he played. For the road tide, and like you said, CD Lamping, that was there was no reason why CD should have fell fallen that far. Um, that was one of the biggest steals in the draft to get him at that value. Um, they didn't have to draft or trade up or anything like that. that. Look, you got Amari Cooper, you got CD Lamb. There, that's going to be a dangerous squad, you know, because CD mm-hmm. Lamb came in as the number one uh, wide receiver prospect. And then you know they need some uh, they need some help on the defensive side with the secondary. So Trayvon Diggs, even though I don't think uh, you know he's amazing, I think he'll be, do a very solid job for, for the Cowboys when it's all set and done. Yeah, I like
0: Xavier McKinney more as a safety. Lou, your question?
3: So were you uh, – I'll stay with the right receivers for now. Were you surprised that Henry Ruggs was the first receiver off the board? I mean, I know he had he had a good 40, but – this is the Raiders using... They're using the picks that they got from trading Amari Cooper and, right. uh, and Khalil Mack. Like, these are... Those were important picks. Were you surprised he was the first one off uh, the I play? was.
1: In I was surprised. I was surprised that they, they went with Henry Ruggs III uh, because there's a lot of potential there. I mean, some people think he might end up being the, I guess, best prospect out of all three of them, the top three receivers. Uh, I, I thought... They should have gone with, you know, a guy like CeeDee Lamb or... um, Jerry Judy. Who's the other guy? Jerry Judy, yeah. Yeah, Jerry Judy, is teammate. Yeah, I was surprised, but I don't think, you know, it's a... I don't think it was a bad selection. I think you could argue any three of those guys to to go number one. I just think more people um, saw a lot out of CeeDee Lamb and what he was able to do um, with Jalen Hurts. But he, he also... I think the Raiders are banking on Ruggs' potential and what he can do when he's like the focal point because that Alabama wide receiver core was nasty. So he didn't really get enough touches, um, enough opportunities, as he would at maybe a place like Oklahoma um, where he was the number one guy. So he's kind of hidden a little bit. He didn't get to maximize his production.
0: Right. I don't think they went terribly wrong uh, taking Ruggs, but I did have him ranked third. Uh, I saw a lot of mocks had him going. I just want to mention quickly the Eagles taking Rieger over Justin Jefferson. That was a head scratcher for me. I didn't see that one coming at all. And I personally, I thought they had a terrible draft.
1: <laughs> Yo, know, that you should have seen Eagles Nation. They were going to, they were going for Howie's uh, Howie's head when they made the selection for Jalen Rieger uh, from TCU. And you know Adam Lefko from from Bleacher, he was upset as well. And then he said something about Jalen. And Jalen was pretty upset about it. Uh, So maybe, you know, it's just funny, you know, seeing how all that went down. Look, Jalen, I think, to give him credit, you know, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder because he was a guy who people thought they shouldn't look at or he didn't deserve to be selected um, that high, you know, for the Eagles. I don't think their draft was – yeah, I don't think the Eagles draft was great. I don't know what they were doing. And then – well, actually, okay, Jalen Rieger and you had another Jalen. And Jalen, Jalen, Jalen hurts. You know what I'm saying? What? the case of the Jalens. I you know? actually – I have a question
3: about that, right? So right now, obviously, if you're the Eagles, Carson Wentz is your future, but he's had multiple seasons now where as he comes down to the wire, you know, his body just – you know, he, he has an injury. And he's not able to go into the playoffs. At what point, if you're the Eagles, do you just kind of give up on him and move to the – like – where you, you seriously consider trading him away or letting him go and, you know, picking your next quarterback like Hurts or something like that?
1: Well, I mean, you you do that when he's at the – yeah, you do that when he has maybe another um, season-ending injury um, or or two because I think he's still got a few years left on his contract. They've got $100 million-plus invested in this guy. You don't – they trade it up, right? They trade it up to get Jalen Hurts – in the in the second round, I believe it was. Why why would you trade up when you have a franchise QB? And you don't need to get that. You don't right. need to do that. He's 20, you can get a quarterback later.
0: He's twenty seven years old. And honestly, right. I think that the Rams back in the twenty it was it twenty sixteen draft taking Jared Goff over him. I don't. I'm not convinced that was the best move for their franchise. And now we're gonna sit here. I know Carson Wentz is injury riddled. Nick Foles had to help him out multiple times going into the postseason because right. he got hurt. But we're gonna take, we're gonna. I don't want to say waste a second round pick because I think that's not fair to Jalen Hurts. I think Jalen could have had an opportunity to go to a team like Tampa, sit behind Brady, go to a team like Jacksonville, compete with Garner Minshew, or do something besides sit behind Carson Wentz. I think he's better than they said they're gonna have play on like Taysom Hill. We're we're spending a second round pick on a guy. Who went to Oklahoma and had a phenomenal campaign after being shunned by Nick Sa- Nick Saban, and right. I'm not blaming right. him because clearly it was a good move. Tua T went right. fifth this year, and he's great. Yeah. And I'm kind of getting on a semi rant here, but like right. I just yeah. don't understand why you take us, why you'd go with a second round pick for Jalen Hurts, and that's not a disrespect to Hurts. My mom was even watching the draft. That's yeah. how bad. That's how bad this getting. By the way, the draft is. I'm just surprised the draft <laughs> was on. Great ratings.
1: That's why. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah. Great ratings. ratings. Everything's getting wonderful ratings. I'm
0: just. I'm just glad my mom let us watch the draft instead of the Real Housewives of New York for crying out loud. <laughs> I, I mean, if if I got to see a show like that one more time, I'm walking outside and my mom's watching You're Ozark. I, I'm done with <laughs> it. Um. <laughs> anyway, no, I think
1: I look. I, I yeah. I think it was a really uh, puzzling choice by the Eagles. And they didn't need to go. They didn't need to pick a QB in the second round. Sure, you want to get a backup for Carson? Okay, wait to the maybe fourth. They later, right? right to the fourth round or something. You don't need to do it a second round pick. And you're you're obviously signaling. Well, one, the fact that people say, "Oh, they're going to use him as Taysom Hill." Jalen Hurts is a much better passer of than course. Taysom Hill. Um, so then he put some respect on Hurts' name. And then, and then two, yeah, like I said, Winch is 27 years old. All right. He's in the prime of his career, and you shouldn't be making that decision, or you shouldn't... That's a slap in the face to him, in my opinion. Of course. Um, it's, it's, it's not it's uh, something a, that you would want to hear.
0: It's a slap in the face, and, I, and I'm sorry to like keep going in on this, but it's a slap <clears> It's a slap in the face. And I understand he got a concussion last year and had to be relieved <clears> in the postseason. He brought them in the postseason. And let's not forget yeah. that they had to go through, what, like 10 receivers. They were pulling corners <clears> off the streets. Yeah, It would be nice to get the guys some help. I mean... Who was he throwing to in week 17 of last year? I have no idea. When they were playing the Giants, they were they were having guys just as bad as B.W. Webb, who the Giants were pulling off the street for themselves. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. You have a prime second-round pick. I'm glad they took a receiver in the first round. Probably took the wrong yeah. one. But I mean, yeah. n- nonetheless, at least they took a receiver and acknowledged it, that, that that they needed to help out their guy, unlike the Packers have for like 20 years. The <laughs> Packers over there right. haven't taken oh, a first man. When was the last time what Aaron Rodgers thrown like two first round picks in fifteen something? Yeah, ridiculous. I
1: think I saw that insane stat. You know,
0: and that's a I've blood been boiler. Been
1: to... What's that?
0: That's that's a blood boiler for me. Honestly, like why the Eagles? And honestly, I'm happy about it because I'm a Giants fan. So what do I really right, right. care? But yeah, taking a receiver and then we're not even going to go on defense for the second pick.
1: Get some offensive yeah. line help, like yeah, because they're yeah you know, they're yeah they're secondaries. The secondary is really bad. If you wanted a year.
0: backup of quarterback, they got injured. If you wanted a backup quarterback, Fromm would have slid to the fifth round.
1: Right, get a guy like Jake Fromm, or you could have gotten a guy. Uh, he slid down uh, Justin Herbert from Oregon. I know he, uh, yeah, like you could have gotten somebody like him later in the draft. Um, oh, Eason. Had, from, J,
0: are you talking about Jacob Eason from Washington?
1: Yeah, maybe they could have got a guy like Jacob Eason. Right, he would have been a much better selection, in my opinion. Um, You know, over a guy like over a guy like Hertz. So I I don't know what the Eagles are doing. Um, yeah, it's it's very head scratching, and I just hope that you know they can be competitive in the NFC NFC East and create some really uh, great games for um for people to watch.
3: Now another team that really got harshly criticized was the Packers. Obviously, taking Jordan trade up with the Dolphins to get Jordan Love in the first round. Uh, I don't have a huge problem. With it. I have a bigger problem with, in a great receiver draft, they don't draft anyone for Aaron Rodgers to get him help. So just what are your opinions? Because I, I don't really have a problem with having Jordan Love develop him under Aaron Rodgers the same way Rodgers developed under Favre. You know, you give Rodgers until the rest of his contract or whatever whenever he retires, and then Jordan Love steps up. But this is a team that, even though they weren't the best, was one game away from the Super Bowl, Right. had a, t- a struggling offense. So just what are your thoughts on the Packers'
1: I think, I think their life comes full circle. Life comes full circle, you know. For Aaron Rodgers, you know the way you got it is the way you're gonna lose it. Uh, you know, going back to you know how they drafted Rodgers and um, Red Farr was on the out. Um, he was on the uh, yeah, he was out. He's gonna be pushed out. So for me, I feel like it's disrespectful to Aaron Rodgers because, like you said. They had this great, really deep wide receiver draft class, and you don't do anything to help him. That's been one of the main issues for Rodgers. Has been his offensive weapons. Like he's not like he can only do so much with his arms and legs. Um, and I also think it signals that he may be on his way out as well. Like he he may have a baller year right uh, this year. Uh, just because of the fire that's been um, instilled within him, given what happened in this draft, and probably the—I remember I saw a tweet. He was on some interview and some show, and he said, "Yeah, we haven't taken a skill guy in a while. Uh, it'd be nice to see. Yeah, them take a skill guy, and then boom—you know—they take Jordan Love.
0: Guess you and, got your skill guy.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I would—I wouldn't like. Sure, it's great to develop your love you always want to prepare for the future this is a business so feelings are going to be hurt you know you can't be sensitive but when you just look at what you're expecting uh for this Packers team they expect championships this championships or bust when it when you have Aaron Rodgers as your QB um it really it just didn't make sense like if they right. made some other selections later in the draft um to help him okay sure even then I'll be like eh I don't know they could have got um you know a better prospect you know in the second round but for them to do what they did, not offer Rodgers any help, um, I think it signals a very, um, how do I put it? There's some dysfunction in, in the organization and a lot of tension uh, between Rodgers and management. I think I saw an article today that was Brian Agutekunst, um, who it was more of his decision than it was Matt LaFleur's um, in terms of getting Jordan Love. And they obviously felt strongly about him because they wouldn't have traded up to get him.
0: I just don't uh, understand. Like, Rodgers could be playing for four or five more. He could play until he's 40, you know? And like, yeah. they're going to say he had, like, a little bit of a worse year. Well, a little bit of a worse year got you one win away from the away from the Super Bowl. you know, That's and, what I'm saying. Aaron Jones, Adams was banged up. The whole offense mm-hmm. was banged up. And it's yeah. the same thing. I almost think it's worse than the Eagles. And even Brett Favre came out and said, because, you know, we love to hear what Brett Favre has to say right. sometimes. But uh, Brett Favre came out and said – He's gonna finish his career somewhere else, like I did, and I I never thought that would happen. Now it really looks like it should happen. And if I'm him, I'm enraged. Like, how do you do that to a guy? He's 35. He's not 38, and he's 35, and he's still on the maybe he's on the back nine, but he's still playing like a top five, top ten quarterback.
1: No, yeah, definitely, definitely top ten quarterback um, for sure. You don't. This is probably before Patrick Mahomes. He's the most talented quarterback. I've ever seen. Agreed. Um, obviously, you know Brady's That's, the greatest, but talent-wise, Aaron Rodgers was before Patrick Mahomes. One hundred percent. It, 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 and it's a reminder how much of a business this is, and these organizations um, do not care um, about your your feelings or your your preferences, even when you are the one thing that is holding them up. We saw what happened when Aaron Rodgers got injured. Um, was like two years ago? Last year two years ago. I think it was two years I ago. I think it was two two years ago, yeah. And Brett Hundley, we saw what that experience was like. Um, oh. That wasn't going to work out. So, I don't know. Um, these GMs um, are really, really funny when it comes to the players they select in um, in the draft, especially when you have, you know, a Hall of Fame QB and, and Rodgers. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so like
3: I'm not going to pretend I know more than like a GM, but the, the Packers were a 13 and 3 team that I thought really overperformed. DeVonte Adams was hurt for a large majority of the year. Rodgers didn't really have that many receivers. His only really other offensive asset Aaron Jones had a fantastic year. So I think you can attribute that 13 and 3 record mostly to Aaron Rodgers and then to run in this draft and really not even improve the team, the only thing that happens with that offense is that Aaron, Aaron Rodgers gets one year older. And that maybe even makes their offense worse, even, even though Rodgers is great. So I think you look at this draft, like, they really didn't improve. And I think that's going to be trouble, especially because their division, you have no idea what's going to happen with the Bears if they get Cam the right. agency. Right. The Vikings are still a good team. Maybe not the Lions, but that's still a competitive Division for them, and for them to do nothing—that
1: I think that just really hurts them. It and does. It, yeah, I just I think again it shows where they are as a franchise. Maybe they're in over their heads, or maybe they're trying to—I don't—I don't I want to say they're trying to stick it to Aaron Rodgers uh, because maybe he's too—I would say—controlling. Um, uh, but he does have a strong, very big personality, and he likes to do things the way he does them, just like. Peyton Manning did, uh, you know, calling audibles at the line. Um, he was a master at that, but he didn't get the same type of uh, flack. Um, so, yeah, um, it's if they don't do anything like before the season starts, they pick up somebody, or maybe they get a guy like Des Bryant if he wants to come back. I don't know if he would uh, ever play for the Packers after uh, that catch. I
0: think he um, would. I mean, if he get a job out of it, sure. What's that? If I mean, if he's getting a job out of it in, in, in the league, uh, I'm sure he would.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that would be that would be really helpful for Aaron Rodgers and their their window for winning the championship has already been, um, you know, closed tremendously over these past few years. But now it's it's almost it's almost shut. Right. Um, if you're expecting them to compete year to year out with yeah. these receivers who are mostly. Um, no names outside of Devontae Adams. And Jimmy Graham, he wasn't what uh, he was. And, um, yeah, they got
0: rid of him. He's on the Bears and,
1: now. And, yeah, he wasn't what he was, you know, in New Orleans. Uh, he, when they signed him, he thought, okay, this now they're going to get some really good uh, tight end play, and that fell flat. So
0: Absolutely. And I just yeah. want to bring up, like, it's a bad – in today's NFL, you don't sit a guy for three, four years. You either play him now or you play him next year. I, I personally, I love sitting. I think they should sit Tua, maybe even Herbert, for one year, and mm. then, and then play him next year. Cause you got Tyrod Taylor in LA and you got Fitzpatrick <clears throat> in, in Miami. And I think if yeah. you have that opportunity to sit him, sit him. I don't think they should do that in Cincinnati. And that's why they released Andy Dalton and did him so dirty. Don't even get me started. First of all, they benched <laughs> him on they benched him on his birthday back in October, November, and they had a bye week the next week. They could have waited all week to announce it. So they did that and then they released him after free agency. And I guess his only look is the Pats who seem to be committed to Jared Stidham. And now he's got to compete with Cam Newton for I guess the free agency spot.
1: Yeah, I, I think I saw though that uh you know, Dalton. He he had, wanted he to, uh, yeah. Yeah. elsewhere. Did. Um, and I think yeah, the Patriots they'll be uh, they'll be wise to to go with a guy like Andy Dalton. I think Cam Newton is obviously the more talented Quarterback, I was listening to this uh, Instagram Live with um, these ESPN anchors, uh, Michael Eves and Ellie Duncan, um, and they were just talking about how um, Cam is a much more talented QB. When you look at his physical talents, his arm strength, uh, ability to run and throw, he's over Andy Dalton. But the numbers have been pretty much the same. Yeah, uh, and Cam,
0: Cam, not to interrupt you, but Cam is, is damaged goods, and he's inaccurate, you know?
1: Right, right. He's really uh, taking a dip. With, yeah, the injuries are, and that's a product of his style of play. You know how it's not that sustainable. I mean, he needs to do. He needs to do a better job of taking care of himself. I think. Look, if Andy Dalton gets a job with the Patriots, that would make things very fun for um, you know the AFC um, with uh, the Jets. You know the Bills. All those guys. All those teams. Um, It'd be some of the dolphins, right? But now I think back to Dalton. Yeah, it's like they didn't—they didn't make it. Well, I don't think they made it out of the wild card. Um, with yeah, him. they never want
0: to play. He was—he was pretty mediocre. I think he's the only quarterback to ever start. Here's the weird stat: only quarterback to ever start a season eight and zero, and also have a season go zero and eight. So I think that is sheer mediocrity. But I do – I like him. I think he could be in a good a good fit in New England. Uh, but I, I, do think, I do think the Pats um, – I kind of want to see how Jared Stidham kind of works out because apparently he would be, you know, one of the top five quarterbacks in the draft if, if he were this year. Now, Lou, you wanted to transition to the Giants a little bit before we got into Mr. Temkin's favorite event since I guess what, the invention of toilet paper, uh, The Last Dance. <laughs> Uh, Lou, if you want to get to the Giants before we get to the last dance, go for it.
3: Yeah, I'll just have a quick question here. So you and me, Deco, we're both we're both Giants fans. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm pretty satisfied with the pick. I think you said you were too. Cool but the only thing is that, right, this is the second year in a row where there's some questioning about whether the Giants reached. I don't think anyone had Thomas as the number one overall O-lineman. We didn't mention him once coming, last week. Yeah, this is coming after... Last year, Daniel Jones, people said, oh, they probably could have got him in the second round. Now, I, I do think that if they thought this was the best, if they thought, I've heard them say, people say he's the most pro radio alignment. So if they thought this was the guy, I have no problem with them taking him at four. But is there any chance that they could have traded down and maybe, maybe gotten him at even like six or seven? I know the Chargers said they were interested in Tua. They would have taken him if he was available. So do you think that was available to them, that they could have maybe traded down and still gotten Thomas?
1: Uh, I think there were, I think there were a lot of options uh, that they had, uh, but to be honest, I think you know Dave Gettleman made the uh, conservative choice. You no, know, just like it's um, like they did with Daniel Jones. You know, he was like, oh, you know, Daniel wasn't going to be there um or whatever pick it was. I forget seventeen. Um, so yeah. we had yeah seventeen. So we you know we had to we had to draft him. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's the same. Um, for I don't think they uh, they probably I, honestly for for me they've got him in I think sometimes a little in over his head and he doesn't know exactly Clearly. what he's doing right absolutely um, so yeah I, I think they it was possible that they could have traded down um, and then gotten Thomas still but I think they they played a conservative yeah. and yeah uh, some people think that. Thomas could, yeah, you know, end up being the best best prospect out of them all, and you know, I don't think it was a, again. I don't think it was a bad bad selection, right? I don't think it was the, the sexy pick, but yeah, it I don't definitely think it was. Bad selection.
0: I um, I yeah, just to kind of give my opinion of, of Lou's, <clears throat> Lou's question here. I think it's I think it's a great point because you bring up, you know, you know, they could have gotten him at a later pick. The next offensive lineman selected was uh, Wills at ten to the Browns. Mm-hmm. Jedrick Wills uh, went to Alabama and uh, from Alabama went to Cleveland. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Makai Becton went to the Jets at 11. And then at 13, uh, Tristan Wirfs Jr. from Iowa went to the Buccaneers, which is a steal, by the way. I didn't want him at yeah. four, but for him to be around at 13 was great. That was excellent. They they got Brady as if he needs, you know, any more help here in Tampa. Yeah. Now that He's bring, <laughs> he's bringing everyone in, uh, and their old retired tight end with him to Tampa. But kind of yeah. to say, Dave Gettleman, I think he – I mean, say what you want about Dave Gettleman. I mean, it didn't, even, it didn't even look like you could put on a mask correctly. But if we're talking, if we're talking, I think Dave Gettleman said that there, he, he he had some offers or they, he was making some calls, but it was nothing substantial, nothing, nothing yeah. that actually like you know, I guess, superseded the value of taking Thomas. Right. I'm fine with Thomas. I would have preferred Jedrick Wills. At the time, after doing some mm-hmm. research, I'm starting to love it more, kind of like I did with Daniel Jones last year, who I think did yep. have a he had aside from the fumbles, he had a very solid rookie campaign. Mm-hmm. My thing is, Thomas did he probably was the most proven you know tackle out of out of the group, and we took a tackle. It's not like the Giants pulled a rock and took like a, a corner or like a, yeah. or a defensive or linebacker. End. I'm glad we didn't take. I'm glad the Giants didn't take Isaiah Simmons because I think yeah. he'll be I think he'll be fine and good, but that's not going to make your team that much better. When you need offensive line help, and we saw Eli through over the years, which I'm not going to get into, and then obviously we saw we saw Daniel Jones last year, the line wasn't great either.
2: So just as things have gone full circle for Aaron Rodgers uh, with the Packers, we saw in the last episode of The Last Dance that things went full circle for Phil Jackson when he took the job of Doug Collins, uh, which was given to him by Jerry Krause, and then... Fast forward about 10 years later, and Jerry Krause is taking the job away from Phil. So, I wanted to get you guys' opinion on the last episode that we had last two, which was uh, centered on Rodman and Jackson. Yeah, the fact that they found footage of uh,
1: Phil in, what was it Puerto Rico or something, or Costa Rica, uh, on that, uh, he was doing, was he doing crack? Or no, he he was doing something. Look, Bill <laughs> Jackson's a crazy man, right? He's a, he's a hippie. Um, so it's fascinating to see, you know, his journey as a, as a little boy and growing up um, where he did. And then, um, but the institution or the insertion of yoga and just being really um, one with themselves uh, when it came to those practices that he implemented into the Bulls practice uh, routine. Um, because all those guys, uh, for the most part, were very um, high-strung, high-energy individuals who needed to be, you know, toned down a little bit, like a Rodman, like a Jordan, you know, like a Scottie Pippen. And one of the things that stood out to me was Rodman's IQ as a basketball player. When he broke down rebounding and how... He evaluated different players' shots and how it would roll off the rim or how be- it was, – it was beautiful. Like, I got chills um, hearing him talk about it. And then his interaction with Jordan on the bench when they were going over schemes, how to, um, you know, get around Oakley in one game. It was like, this is like watching um, two people discuss something in a whole nother language that we're not even on that same level. Um, it was just – it was really fascinating. To, to see that. Um, and then, yeah, Phil, the life coming full circle where Krause is kicking him out after he brought him in. It's like, look, it's the same thing with, yeah, like you said, same thing with Rodgers. Um, you know, you got him how you lose him, right? Because um, Phil was there working as assistant um, alongside Tex. And then it was like, Jerry's like, yeah, we need to get Phil in. And now, I think for me, it just showed Jerry's ego, his insane ego and the fact that... Jerry Krause, right? Yeah, Jerry Krause. Yeah, not Jerry Ronstar. Jerry Krause's ego um, and wanted to be part of the club but he was never going to be part of the club. He wanted more credit than he deserved. Like, he deserves more credit than he's given um, because he was the architect of that dynasty but for him to say, you know, organizations win championships Okay, well, they haven't won a championship since Michael Jordan left. So, who really wins championships? You know, um, so it was it was sad to see, you know, him evolve in that way, where he he had to, his ego got in the way of maybe a couple more championships that this uh, this franchise could have had.
2: Yeah, uh, I thought it was really interesting when we saw that footage. I think it was at the end of the second episode where they're on the bus. And uh, Scottie Pippen is allegedly just berating Jerry Krause, and then cut to <clears throat> the footage we saw this past week uh, in the aisles on the plane, <laughs> and Jerry Krause and Scottie Pippen are literally dancing with each other. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. That- so <laughs> how how much things changed in like eight years? Well, yeah. even in that even in
3: that video, they tell him to the sit his fat ass Right. Dance. Yeah. They, yeah.
2: Exactly. That is that is it. You made a great point,
1: Luke. That's the point that I'm trying to make. It was like, yeah, you cool or whatever, but you're not that cool.
2: You know? Stay in your lane.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
2: Yeah, stay in your lane. I I, I do hope, though, that from this documentary, Krause's expertise uh, doesn't get overshadowed by his ego Mm. because he made some amazing moves uh, to make that Bulls team what it was. And uh, if I, I believe that if Jerry Krause isn't the GM, Jordan doesn't win those rings. Well, yeah, never
1: get never get Phil, um, <laughs> never get Scotty, never get Scotty. You know, Even um, Rodman. So, yeah, I, yeah, Rodman as well. Uh-huh. Um, and they traded Oakley for uh, good old Bill Cartwright. Jordan yeah, never won the pass to him. Um, so yeah, without yeah without Krause, the Bulls dynasty probably never uh, never would have happened probably not um, because he just made such so many great moves uh, for the franchise and he is the villain you know because this is told from Michael Jordan's perspective I saw people I saw Ken Burns say this is not a journalistic documentary because um, Jordan had like Jordan is one of the producers I think mm-hmm. everybody everybody knows that this is not a true um unbiased documentary. It's told through the lens of Michael Jordan's perspective. And it's very entertaining and you know that certain things that he doesn't want to have in there, they're not gonna go in. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I think like you said, I, I think um I hope that it'll be Jerry Krauss being the architect, um and gets not, more love yeah. than him him being the villain. Exactly. Uh, but you know MJ hated uh hated
2: Krause. Yeah, and they're you know alluding to the fact that in the next six episodes there's going to be a lot more footage of that ninety seven ninety eight right uh, year, which which is really cool for me because uh, being such a big fan of the Bulls and Jordan, I've seen a lot of the other stuff right yeah uh, but 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 that that ninety seven ninety eight footage is really interesting and I uh, one part in particular uh, when Jordan is on the plane and um, Bill Weddington has got his camera uh-huh. and, and he's recording, and you see the other guys there, and you know it's clear that just the dynamic where you know Jordan talks, and that's that's about that's where the conversation ends. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's there's not a lot of uh, people uh, you know going against Jordan on the plane there. So no. he was he was the man on the court and, and off the court, you know, oh, for, for sure. that for that team. And um, I thought it was also interesting. I've never heard anyone call Michael uh, M. And Scotty Burrell calls him M. I, you know, I hear people call him MJ, Mike, all those things. He was the first person I ever hear to call call him M. So just was little that, things like that, I've really yeah. enjoyed. Was that was that because he couldn't get it out because he was he was a uh,
1: expo- or embarrassed, you know, the fact that Joy was putting his business out, or did was that maybe. Delivered?
2: But yeah, that's a, that's that's a good point. That could be it, because because Michael was definitely going in on him. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be funny, and, though. If, you know, that would case
1: if he just really like purposely called them in.
2: Yeah, because because <laughs> ele- they, they were apparently pretty tight. Mm. Scottie Burrell uh, and MJ. So something that, that I found interesting too was that um, Scottie Pippen and MJ, uh, you know, always got along well. Uh, at least so we thought. But, like, you could see uh, that Michael still holds some things against him. And uh, th- those are things that I, that I wasn't aware of. The foot, uh,
0: the foot know, injury.
2: The, so I got to start watching MJ uh, in the early 90s, probably around 93 is when I really started getting into it. And then, he, you know, he took the break and then came back and, you know, watching the footage now <clears throat> of the... The pre-first retirement, you could see the difference in the type of player he was. He relied a lot more on his speed and athleticism as opposed to when he came back. He was a little bit slower, more of a jump shooter, fadeaway guy. Uh, Chris, I know you, you got to watch him more uh, in the in that second run with the Bulls. What was your takeaway from, from seeing that that younger Jordan and the stylistic differences?
1: I think it showed his high basketball IQ and understanding his um, limitations. Like he still could, you know, dunk on you um, and, and throw it down, but he obviously didn't have the same same spring, the same hop in his step like he did um, before his first retirement. And so for me, it's like watching an artist, you know, paint his canvas. That's That's how Jordan made me feel. Poetry, you know, it's so beautiful. Um, he's a magician on the uh, on the floor with his with his moves. I mean, his fadeaway, that little shoulder shake um, when he's posting up against you. Uh, it's, it's art, you know. That, that's all I can say. It's just wonderful art, and there are only a few players that can bring that type of feeling and emotion to you. And Jordan was one of those. Those players, and I think yes. I think
0: he I think he kind of named some of them too when he was saying the guys that he wanted to play one on one when he was saying like Kobe, uh, D Wade. He might have even mentioned Melo and a few a few other guys. Yeah, but yeah, Melo
1: he mentioned.
0: Yeah, on a, from a comedic standpoint, I've never heard someone use the word "moves" more like in my life. And when you just said it, it sounded like him too. The way he said "moves," like he said <clears throat> he at Kobe's funeral, he said about what Kobe and him were talking about moves. And then he was even saying when he's doing one on one, he's like, "Yeah, Kobe, maybe he'd win because he steals all my moves."
2: Yeah, steals all of it. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's true. It's interesting. Like there's footage of people split-screening Kobe and Michael. It's insane. And, oh my god! And like it's it's like it's like a like a exact, it's, like mirror, a it's exact carbon yeah. carbon copy. Yeah. Uh, Lou and Declan, you guys didn't get to see Jordan play live. Has your opinion of him changed at all watching this footage? So, do you want to go first, Declan? No, Lou, you go ahead. All right. So it's like
3: I always thought he was the goat. I was never a person that that thought LeBron was the greatest. So I always thought MJ was the best but at the same time right like i i wasn't as big a i i've gotten into basketball more recently so even though i know the history i haven't seen a lot of the footage so like yeah i've seen the north carolina shotty hits you know to win that game and i've seen some of the famous highlights where he, you know he sinks the shots in championship games but like to see all this other stuff and even through like all the stuff i know about him like it just it reinforces the idea for me like this there's just no one else like him he's the greatest because He's the, you can see it, the way he talks, the way he acts. His mm-hmm. mentality, it's only a couple people have ever come close to that. And it's like Kobe, like guys yeah. like that, the only people that were even able to come close to his mentality. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Completely. I, I agree with Lou. Uh, I always was, again, I guess, is it a minority for kids my age to think that Michael Jordan's the GOAT? Maybe. I personally think LeBron um, ha- has been awesome, but I think it, it's it's got to be Mike when you break down all the all the playoff appearances, the all-star. I, I understand why people would say LeBron, but in terms of maybe all around, if you want to say LeBron's better, fine, but the greatest player of all time. If he you're 6-0 in the finals, you can't go 3-6 and six in the finals, and we're going to sit here and say LeBron's the greatest of all time, as as captivating and cultivating as he may be.
1: But, well, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny funny you say that, uh, the 3-6, the and six, because LeBron stands, they'll be like, well, would you rather make it to nine finals as opposed to just six? Like, would you rather lose an NBA finals? Um, would you rather leave your team three round? times? What's that?
0: Would you rather lead your team three times or do it with one?
1: I rather see that's that's another thing, Declan, that I don't. I understood why LeBron uh, made the moves that he did. Um, but I still, I never would have joined up forces with a whole bunch, uh, two other superstars. Like, I'm trying to go at you. I'm not trying to be buddy-buddy. We can be buddy-buddy on the golf course, whatever, like Jordan did with different players, Danny Ainge and all those guys, and then drop 50 on them the next night. Like, I couldn't I couldn't get down with LeBron with that. The other thing, and I think you can attest to this too, uh, Jordan, is LeBron is such a big uh, flopper I, I'll never respect <laughs> I'll never respect that type of um attitude from him that type of style Jordan would never be he would never flop he, he could it just it's not it wasn't part of the game um back then and he he had a different mentality so for me LeBron he's the best and probably the best best all-around basketball player I agree. that we've seen but the greatest no, nah, that greatest is something bigger. It's than not just, It's
0: not the best. It's right. bigger than the best, you know? Like, that's why Tom Bra- I think greatest and best mean two different things to me. Like, Tom Brady's yeah. the greatest quarterback of all time. Is he yeah. the most talented or is he the best passer no. I've seen? Not even close. Yeah, and that's right. not a knock no. at Brady. He says it, too. He he, yeah. he won more. He won more, and, and he, he played when it, he was you know, he played his best when it counted most. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. what I see. And now just to kind of get back to the last dance here, my, my thing with the last dance is I kind of feel like, although like, you know, Mr. Temkin and Chris, you guys are living, you know, reliving the glory days of, of your hero, right. Michael Jordan. I almost think that you can argue that this documentary means more from a, from an educational standpoint to the younger generation who didn't get to see him play, who now yeah. realize like, there was a there was a level of basketball that was so tough, the bad boys in Detroit, a level of basketball that's so tough, you only see guys like Kawhi and and I guess like Draymond Green. I, I don't personally think he's it should be in the same conversation as Kawhi, but you see these great defenders like Kawhi, I think Anthony Davis and stuff like that. I'm not a huge basketball head, but like my thing is that like I feel like this is so so much more inspirational and so much more key for the younger generation to know who Michael Jordan was. And obviously you guys could talk more about that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Always uh, uh, to be an assassin on the court, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, to respect the game, uh, you know. You when when they talk about the Pistons not shaking their hands, and he talks about how much it hurt him to lose to the Pistons in that nineteen ninety season. But yet he shook their hands anyway. That's no, not even, not even. Yo, sorry to interrupt. Not even. No, you're good. He got interviewed. He did a post game interview after game seven. That is unheard says, of. And mm-hmm. and 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 great point, Chris. And in that interview, he says the better team won, right? Mm-hmm. And that and we're talking about the most competitive man in the world who cheats at pool, and <laughs> that that's. But that's how much he has a respect and love for the game, mm-hmm. and I think that also has a lot to do with his upbringing. Yeah. Uh, his parents clearly instilled values in him we can see that in this documentary him going to coach excuse me to play under coach dean smith
3: mm-hmm. you know that
2: was an old school coach yeah so these are things that were instilled in him you know from an early age and yeah. uh you know it, it's it's good to see that he kept that with them even when he became you know the biggest player in the world um something else i want to talk to you guys about is you know you hear a lot of people say because the the game has changed so much is uh, what would Michael Jordan be like in the current NBA? Would mm-hmm. he be better? Would he be worse? Uh, I think, without a doubt, that this style of play now actually works to his strengths.
0: Taters him completely, and
2: and and he would he would be even more explosive. Um, the other thing is, back then, nobody shot threes, mm. right? You know, I mean, like I'm kind of exaggerating, but not really. Like they really didn't shoot threes, and. There's no doubt in my mind that if the game was focused on threes like it is now, Jordan would have been a way better three-point shooter. Than
0: Averaging 35, maybe 40 points a game.
2: He'd be yeah, leading the league two. in scoring. Yeah. And, 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 and you look at, you know, it's funny watching. I've been watching a lot of the old games full through. Mm-hmm. And when players make these hard fouls in those old games, the announcers – don't think anything of it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, foul by Rodman, foul by Oakley. Nowadays, there would be like a 10 minute stoppage in play. Right.
0: Eight so, reviews. Just,
2: should they eject, eject oh, the guy? The technical. Oh, that's a flagrant.
0: Security so
2: that's on a flagrant the court. Random, right? So, you know, I mean, imagine MJ not having to deal with that. Uh,
3: this is actually one thing I kind of noticed, and you were talking about the fouls. Like, so, for someone like me who really, right, like, Kind of learned a lot about basketball playing NBA 2K and stuff like that. And like, so up until this documentary, right? Like, I liked Isaiah Thomas. I would play with those those bad boys Pistons. This documentary, like, I wonder if there are going to be a lot of people that really start to like like because I never had like strong feelings about Isaiah Thomas mm-hmm. until this video, until this documentary mm-hmm. came out. Like, guys like Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambier, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, those are really like, they become the two faces of that bad boys Pistons. Right. And even Joe DeMar Joe Dumars a little bit Dennis Rodman to some extent, even though he kind of gets pushed away from it because he joins the Bulls and there's not as much hate poured toward him. Like, I kind of dislike Isaiah Thomas and like he tries to defend not shaking the hands.
2: Like, I think that's just full of BS. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to get this out there that when Isaiah says that, oh, we didn't shake their hands because the Celtics didn't shake our hands, people need to realize that it was customary that when you lost the series, and if you were the away team, you had to get off that court as soon as possible because there was a good chance that fans were going to rush the court. Mm. So, so what the Celtics were doing there when the Pistons beat them was they were getting off the court because fans were going to come on. Mm. So, it's not accurate for Lim, for Thomas in this case to say that oh, we were just doing what the Celtics were doing because when the Pistons point. lost, they were at home.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, they, no one was they, rushing they, the court.
1: Thinking about it like that. Because I was like, well, both of them had receipts, you know, because Jordan shook uh, all the Pistons players' hands after they lost in the series uh, prior to them finally dethroning the, the Pistons. Um, and then Isaiah's got, well, the Celtics didn't shake our hands. We didn't think anything of it. Um, but that's a, that's a fine point that you made there. I um, was because they were a away team. So they trying to get off before the yeah. fans... The Russian
0: court. Do you guys nowadays
2: there's so much security, no fan can get close to the absolutely, court. Absolutely,
0: no, right. you, you get tackled. Like that YouTuber who, like the Vitaly, who like is always pranking. He's running on the court. They'll get, they'll get tackled. He'll, they'll Ray Lewis him immediately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one question though on the Last Dance. Um, do you think that Isaiah Thomas was purposely left off the the dream team because of the no, no handshaking? So,
2: so that. So, so that that has you know recently come come back and um, what's his first name Thorn Rob Thorn yeah, I believe right mm-hmm. yeah, Rob Thorn he he came out and said that hundred percent that actually MJ had nothing to do with that what um, he said then he say MJ
1: never said anything to me that's, that's right. correct that's yeah correct. and then there was something else that they well yeah he said that um, but that doesn't mean he didn't say anything to other people or other that's coaches. true. Um, but so, yeah, to answer your question, no, he was, nobody wanted to have him on the team. Um, Magic, Jordan, like if Jordan wouldn't have Isaiah on the team, he would have been on. Um, and it was obviously a slap in the face because Isaiah is one of the top 50 players easily, um, of all time. One of the top five point guards, um, of all time. So it's pure, uh, pettiness, pure pettiness. Um, and he admitted, he was like, I paid a price for that not shaking their hands. And he, he should have been on the Dream Team, but his, uh, his ego got in the way when, you know, he was walking up the court I think he said he, to the Bulls.
0: I think he said he was more disappointed. He said if a handshake snub cost him an opportunity to be on the Dream Team, he said he's more disappointed now than he was back then. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it was funny seeing Jordan's reaction. Oh, that's to, great. Like, look, you can tell me, you can say anything i can say anything you won't convince me you know he's not an a-hole um like, oh he's gonna change the story you know because of public perception yeah, yeah. i loved it you know i love yeah. that that it's it's so funny how these grown men uh who are like what they're in their 50s, mid-50s or something? 50s. yeah mid-50s still to this day cannot stand each other you know it's like yeah, yeah i can't let nothing go
2: I, but, but like, horace grant's uh opinion of the Detroit Pistons we can't even say on this show all right
1: oh my god oh
0: that's <laughs> a how, how
2: great I. does John like a guy like John Sally come you know come out where he
3: like just because he was friends with Jordan you know he stays behind he says coach put me back in the game you know so I can like he, he's not a part of that like the guys like that I think there were three players I think it was him Dumars and the third person escaping in my name maybe it was just two but like and only a couple players stay to shake those guys' hands. Like, they come off looking really good compared to the rest. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah it, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Rodman was definitely one of the uh, most violent guys against Jordan and the Bulls. Yeah. But yet yeah, he was on the Bulls, um, right. you know, later. Uh, and so was John Sally. John mm-hmm. Sally was on one of the, one or two of those uh, teams that won later on. So, you, you know, it's you don't know what happens in between that time where, you know, relationships are amended. Right and things like that, but clearly the Isaiah one has not been amended. Yeah, nah. Isaiah or
1: Bill Lambert. because you notice Bill is not even in that documentary. I don't think yeah. that's a mistake. I think Joe right. said, "Nah, you're not. We're not interviewing Bill," uh, which means he hates his hate for uh, Bill. You know, overtakes his hate for Isaiah. Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. Now, do you guys? I I heard a report that uh, during Kobe's last season, there was a camera crew mm-hmm. around him, and that we could be yeah. seeing a documentary. You guys, a documentary about him, especially now that he's unfortunately passed away, which is still crazy to say out loud. And Chris on yeah. SNY, you had, you had a lovely tribute to him uh, uh, a day yeah. or two after his passing. Now, but yeah. do, do you guys think that this, if there was a documentary on Kobe's last last full season as an NBA player, that that would compare to the hype, or if not, be bigger than the Last Dance?
2: No. I, 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 you know I, ahead. I, well, like if we look at it from a team perspective. The the Colby's last last year, the Lakers, where did they finish?
0: They were mediocre or they didn't make the playoffs.
2: Chris, do you know? No, they didn't make the playoffs. They were bad. They they didn't even make the playoffs. So, like, you know, right there, it's not going to have the same allure. As you know, the Bulls going out on top. And, I mean, it was just, it was so perfect that the name of the documentary, the director didn't even have to come up with. Because Phil Jackson (laughs) named it that, you know, 22 years ago.
1: And it sticks.
2: You know, the... So um, yeah, it does stick. I you know I, I don't think it would have the same allure. Uh, but you know Kobe Kobe is a very fascinating uh, guy and and player. And you know I, I would love to see a documentary you know about him as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Not,
1: no, I was gonna say uh, yeah. It'd be, I would love to see a documentary on him as well. I think one they need to let it uh, marinate. A little bit more, so you know Vanessa and the family can heal because these wounds, um, the heartbreak, is still very fresh. Yeah, today's his when she gives a green light, and then also I'd be more interested in. It's a shame that you know he's not here. I'd be more interested in a six-part or ten-part documentary on his um, relationship with uh, Shaq. Yeah, like mm-hmm. those years would be really um, engaging um, to watch and hear yeah. their perspective.
2: Yeah, the, the two-hour piece that I believe NBA TV did a few years ago when they sat Shaq and Kobe yeah. down, you know, that was fantastic. Yeah. yeah I, I, could, I could see that being more episodes. Mm-hmm. They'd say it's, to get Isaiah and Jordan.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not going to happen. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up, Declan, because,
3: like, Kobe is probably the most similar to Jordan That's in terms exact, of 100%. mentality and yeah. attitude. And I think like the only like the only reason though that that documentary, if it were to be made, would even come close, and it's unfortunately is because Kobe died 100%. so young, like after his retirement. Because if you really look at like the end of his career, like his last couple years, they're not the best. Like he did kind of decline. He still had that shot, right? And he ends his career with that sixty-point game, which really helps save his last season. But like overall, like the end of his career, as great as he was for the re- for his entire career. It just doesn't have the same. It just doesn't have like the same feeling as like Jordan kind of going out on top. As long as we forget his two years. I, I believe he
0: retired at thirty-seven right. too. Like he didn't play till forty, so he did, he had the Achilles injury late in his career, and, and he did kind of have have a decline, which would be yeah. normal. But in terms of like, right, yeah. you know, I would expect LeBron to play till he's at least like forty, maybe more.
1: Yeah. Than, like I'm, the way he the way he keeps his body in shape, man. I tell but, you, he takes care of his
2: body. Yeah, you know, the rehab nowadays on a whole other level than it was, you know, when Jordan was playing. Mm-hmm. Yo, didn't you think it was crazy, uh, Jordan, about
1: his, uh, like, he would the headache thing, or like, uh, what was it? Um His leg. A, oh. no, no, it wasn't the, the It was like in the first when he, episode. When, when he had the leg injury. And it was that like leg injury? In the yeah, that Like, well, there's a temper, you know, there's a 90% chance right. that, uh, you know, I'll be good. And Jared's like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, if I gave you ten pills and I said one of them could kill you, you know, would you take it? And he said, "Yeah, it depends on how bad the effing headache is." <laughs> yeah, that just captured Jordan's... Uh,
2: exactly. sums him up perfectly. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad that they got that. Uh, I think that's a great way to embody him. And um, some people were saying, in terms of the timing of this documentary, so uh, they thought it was a little convenient how. Uh, he, he, you know, cause this was all about Jordan and right. giving the, giving the green light and, uh, he gave the green light about two years ago. And, um, you know, this was at a time where people were really starting to have serious conversations about him and LeBron and, you know, who was the greatest of all time. And I wonder how much of a role that played in, in him, you know, allowing them to do this. Agree. Yeah. I, I I think, um, oh,
0: go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I wish that there was a poll before this uh, last dance and, like, the whole pandemic, because the, the timing of of it, of it is is entirely convenient. Um, mm-hmm. But I wish there was a poll to see what, you know, most Americans and basketball fans, you know, especially, more importantly, uh, basketball fans, thought who the GOAT was. And then after the 10-10, ten, mm-hmm. ten, to 10 right. episodes to see where it would lie because I feel like it would change more in favor to Jordan and I gotta be honest I think that was kind of his intent
1: yeah uh huh yeah I think it was too and actually I was reading a story um that the day he gave the green light was on the parade the day the Cavaliers yes, yeah that's what I said. They, yeah. they beat the Warriors coming back from 3-1 deficit and mm-hmm. when when LeBron did that I mean that made him much more relevant in the conversation, you know, because that was, nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever come back yep. from a three-one deficit. Um, so of course, I, I think that's why, uh, Jordan, LeBron and MJ don't have the same relationship that, uh, Kobe and, and he had, Kobe and, uh, Jordan had. I got, I know they played together. Um, so Jordan kind of looked after him and he saw the fire in his eyes, um, and the mentality that he, uh, Duplicated, but yeah, there seems to be some tension uh, between Jordan and LeBron that um, you know doesn't get talked about uh, yeah. as much.
2: I'm glad you brought up that that three and one comeback because yeah. I was watching LeBron show on ESPN Plus. I forget the name of it. It's him and his three uh, boys. Mm-hmm. They have a show, and they were watching that that finals. And LeBron says straight up. He goes, once I did that, that's when I mm-hmm. thought that I was the greatest basketball player ever. Yeah. Straight up yeah. says it. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember enjoy. Yeah, that was on, I think that was on the shop or something. um Yeah. Yeah, it was the other one. It wasn't the shop. Oh, the other, it was the other one? Okay. Yeah, I forget the name of it. It's escaping me, but it's on ESPN. Yeah, and, I remember seeing that. Yeah, and I was like, I bet Mike saw that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% saw that. But for me, if you got to say, yeah, you're the GOAT and you're doing that um, on camera, because obviously he knows where the cameras are all, at all times. He's mm-hmm. very savvy when it comes to that. I <laughs> think that lets people know you are You know you know, are the GOAT because Jordan never says that outright. He may no. say that, you know, privately, um, but George, everybody says it for him. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't need – if you're, like, better than somebody, you know, let somebody else – Do that. Let somebody else uh, speak your praises. You don't need to be the one to do that because your greatness will be very evident so that you can just sit back and be like, yo, this is what they're saying. What, you know? Yeah. "Yeah, I'm I'm just
2: humbled, right? Kobe kind of did it in a subtle way by his jersey numbers. His Olympic jersey was one higher than Jordan's Olympic jersey. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And his, you know, second second Lakers number was one number higher than Jordan's 23. Yeah, yeah.
0: I never thought it was not, subtle, cause That, that subtle because an an No, it was not an
2: accident at all.
1: <laughs> not an accident at all.
2: Okay. But that's, I think, kind of why MJ and Kobe, you know, got along because they were yep. from the same cloth. Where yeah, neither of them were going to come out right and say, you know, I'm the greatest. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a great point, Mr. T. Uh, as always, as usual. Uh, it's also going to be a great way to wrap up part one of this two part series with SMY's Chris Williamson. We'll be back here Tuesday night at eight p.m. for part two. Uh, of this two-part series. I'm Devin Krogman, joined, of course, by Lou Orlando, Mr. Temkin. We'll see you guys next time.